The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, August 22nd, 2022. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She does everything you Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Wow, it's going to be a warm day here in Sonoma County, and I'm so excited. Joining me on the phone uh, today is going to be Molly Murphy McGregor, who's the co-founder of the National Women's History Project, now called the the National Women's History Alliance, founded and housed in Sonoma County. Amazing, amazing program. And I'm dedicating this show to Women's Equality Day, which is celebrated on August 26th, which is this Thursday, to all those women whose shoulders we are standing on. A little bit of background here. Women's Equality Day is August 26th, uh, 26th, and Molly McGregor will be talking about its history and why it's as important as, and as women We must acknowledge this day and start thinking about what our role is in this somewhat upside-down world. We are going through some growing up and having to reflect on what is before us. And boy, I'll tell you something. I got an earful when I heard Amy Goodman's show prior to me coming on the air talking about what some of the horrible things that are happening around abortion and arresting women. And oh, it's just, it's, it's really a sad situation. Well, let me just give you a little bit of background about uh, Women's Equality Day. At the beset of uh, Representative Bella Asberg, a Democrat from New York, in 1971, it was passed in 1973, the U.S. Congress designated October, excuse me, August 26th as Women Equality Day. The day was selected to commemorate the 1920 certification of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, granting women the right to vote the women the right to vote and let me tell you something we need to get out in 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 massive numbers and make sure that we pay attention to who we're voting for and make sure that they are in tune with equal rights for women you know it's it's really uh, it's really it's just amazing when you start thinking about it well, and what's really exciting, too, is that, that I have an announcement to make about next, uh, next week's show. I'm going to be uh, interviewing the, the niece of a very, very well-known person in women's rights, and that is uh, attorney uh, Polly Murray. Uh, Polly Murray really played a huge part in the women's movement. She was one of the founders of NOW. She worked very closely with, uh, not with uh, Thurbert Marshall and also with... Uh, uh, Ginsburg, I mean, amazing, an amazing woman. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm just a little bit too excited this morning. I have to just 
relax a little bit, just take a deep breath, you know, and just realize that there's just so much going on in the world that all of a sudden it just, it kind of takes you over, you know, it really does take you over. You know, also to recognize that the beginning of the women's movement, its formal beginnings was in 1848 at the world's first women's rights convention in Seneca Falls, New York. The observance of Women's Equality Day was not only commemorates the passage of the 19th Amendment, but it also calls attention to women's continuing effort towards full equality. Workplaces, libraries, organizations, and public facilities now participate with Women's Equality Day programs, and there's all kinds of stuff going on in our community. And what was really, really interesting, I attended two seminars that was, two webinars actually, that was sponsored by the National Women's History Alliance here in Sonoma County, and they were just fabulous. And when you go on our website, www.womenspaces.com, I'll be the list of all the websites that so folks can listen to these outstanding women talking about equal rights and talking about some of the movements that are going on right now in the United States. Well, today's an interesting day. My friend uh, Nancy Rogers brought this to my attention and I start I looked it up. It was just amazing. Today is Slavery Remembrance Day. Actually, it's tomorrow, August 23rd, Slavery Remembrance Day. It's an international day for the remembrance of the slave trade and its, abolish, its abolition. is observed on August 23rd all over the world. The day was chosen by the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization to memorialize the uh, transatlantic slave trade. And, you know, every, uh, every Remembrance Day is not just remembering the horrors of slavery and honoring its, its victim. It is also about working on to ensure that the system of racism that caused slavery is abolished completely in today's world. So it's very interesting to, it's to remind people, you know, it wasn't that long ago when many, many people of color were in slavery, and to remind people how tender it, that is and how easy it is to lose our rights and our security in that area to be a free people. Well, I have some important events that are going on that I think people will be uh, very interested in. Uh, the first one that I'd like to talk about, this is happening on uh, Saturday, September 3rd, and it's a, it's an African Soul Festival to and there are people asking them to join us in celebration of Mayor Jackie Elred. I had Jackie on several times on our show. Wonderful, she's retiring as the where uh, the mayor of the city council in Santa Rosa, and it's going to be hosted by the Community Equity Foundation and a group called Safe Harbor. I know Safe Harbor very very well, so that's going to be happening Saturday, September third, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Roner Park. Uh, Plaza, and they gave me a phone number. If folks have any questions or, or need to find out anything about this, they call 707-843-2125. And it just sounds like an absolutely wonderful, wonderful event to, that is happening, and I encourage, I encourage for folks to attend. And every, like I say, everything that I mention in on the air is actually listed on our website at www.womenspaces.com. Very, very important. 
Well, as I do every Monday morning, our history is our strength. And I mentioned that August 26, 1920, is the 19th, the 19th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution was ratified, uh, granting women the right to vote. And on October 26, 1970, uh, Betty Friedan uh, led a nationwide protest called the Women's Strike for Equality in New York on the 50th anniversary of the women's suffrage. Actually, it's the 15th anniversary of the women's uh, suffrage. Uh, uh, amazing. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's the 50th anniversary of the women's suffrage. And, you know, uh, Betty, pardon? Hundreds. Oh no! This was this was when in August 26, 1970, when Betty Friedan leaded a national protest called the Women's Strike for Equity, which is very very equality in New York City. And then August 26, 1971, was the first uh, Women's Equality Day initiated by Representative Bella Asberg, established by Presidential Proclamation, and reaffirmed it annually which is, was amazing. So it looks like it was almost 50 years after we finally got the vote. And also the woman that we're going to be talking about, Polly Murray, Polly Murray was really very, very instrumental in writing about uh, what she believed of that women's equality that needed to be a constitutional amendment that to this day is still have not passed. So uh, Molly's going to be, Molly McGregor is going to be talking about that. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. Well, we have some birthdays that I think are very, very important. And, you know, it, it's interesting when I start looking up all these different women and finding out different things about them, I think it's really, it's very, very, very interesting. Well, today is August 22nd, and Maude Paul, born in Peru, Illinois, was the first American violinist of, of either, gener either gender who was internationally uh, claimed. I mean, I think it's very interesting. Maud Paul, born in Peru, Illinois, was he was the the first person to be honored about around the violin. It says, "Let me read this to you." The art of violin playing was about to be revolutionized when Maud Paul stepped into the Victor Recording Studio for the first time in 1904. The unparalleled standard for violin performance that Paul engraved on the spinning wax ushered in the modern age of violin playing and marked the historic marriage of recording technology to the highest achievement in violin playing. A woman here in, in uh, let's see, what's she, 1904, for heaven's sakes. I mean, they just started, you know, really doing a recording. Now, we, right now, we have music constantly. We don't recognize that at one time that was not possible. And here is this woman. Uh, so happy birthday to Maude Paul. And another, another woman that this is really, really interesting to me. It really is interesting to me. She was born August 22nd, 1912, and she made her transition in 1996. Cornelia Koya Knudsen, the first woman elected to the United States Congress in Minnesota. She served from 1955 to 1959. She was the first woman on the Agriculture Committee, but she was defeated, listen to this, after an infamous 
come home Koya letter supposedly written by her estranged husband. So let me let me read this to you. This is so interesting. Koya, I want to tell the people of the Ninth District this Sunday that you are through in politics. This is this is what he wrote in the Sunday paper. Koya, I want to tell the people of the Ninth District this Sunday that you are through in politics, that you want to go home and make a home for your husband and son. As your husband, I compel you to do this. I'm tired of being torn apart from my family. I'm sick and tired of having you run around with other men all the time and not your husband. I love you, honey. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine your husband writing something like that in the newspaper and here you are running for an election? Well, Koya Knutson divorced Andy Knutson shortly after failing to win the re-election, and he died in 1969 of acute alcohol poisoning, and she refused to attend the funeral. You know something? I don't blame her. You know, I really don't. I don't. I mean, I just think I just think it's just amazing some of the things as as women that we have to go through in order to find our place in the world, particularly to stand up and politically. I mean, I almost, I almost wonder what's going to happen with all these different laws around women is if, if women are going to maintain the amount of a level of achievement that they've had and the level of out there. I mean, we have so many women newscasters, so many women running for office. I mean, this election period, there are so many women. It just And many, many women of color, which is really outstanding when you start thinking about it. I mean, there's that saying, we've come a long way, baby, and we have. We've come an awful long way when you come to think about it. I mean, when you think about it, up until 1973, women could not even get a credit card. You know, I remember, it was so interesting. I remember when I moved up to Sonoma State, you know, it was, there were lines, I mean, just lines uh, for students trying to get housing. It was almost impossible. And I was a single parent at that time. I moved up with my sister, Evelyn. She came along with me. And it was just, it was just an amazing experience. Here we were, we moved from Los Angeles up to Sonoma County, and it was almost impossible to find a house. Well, we were very lucky. I mean, the angels must have really been at work for us that day. We found a house in Roner Park. I'll never forget it. When we walked in the house, there were three people ahead of us. There was actually one man that was actually offering the landlord more money, you know, a little bit of a stipend if he would rent to his daughter. And all of a sudden, Mrs. Lang was her name. She walked up to me and my sister, and she says, oh, are you girls, uh, you're, you're interested in renting this house? And we said, oh, yes, we're, you know, we just moved up from Los Angeles. I have a daughter, you know, this is perfect, the schools. And we were really excited. And Mrs. Lang looked it up and said, looked at us and said, oh, do you have a credit card? Well, we were shocked, and I said I was stunned. My credit card, and all of a sudden, there's my sister who had just gotten her teaching credentials. She pulls out a credit card from all places, from Citibank, and says, "Yes, I have a credit card." Mrs. Lang turned around, went to the other three people, said that she's already made a decision, and turned around to us and said that we're going to rent the house to you. Well, I'll tell you something. It was such an amazing experience, but little did I know that at that moment, my sister actually was making history, that she had a credit card. 
this was in 1973. And I asked her, I said, Evie, how did you get that credit card? She says, well, all of a sudden, Citibank was just sending out all these different letters to, to, to teachers and said that they can be, they can apply for a credit card. So she said, I did, and I got it. And I said, well, that was very fortuitous of you because here we are. Now we have this wonderful house, and we could settle here in Sonoma County. Prior to 1970, that could not have happened. And, you know, a real interesting thing for me is, you know, all of a sudden when all this stuff around abortion and birth control and everything is, is coming to the forefront again, my memories were, have been sharpened. I actually had to go to the doctor with my first husband, and he had to sign a document that he agreed that we were going to have birth control. In other words, he was the one who made the decision to have birth control, not me. Well, ladies, we've come a long way since that time. But there are forces that want to take that away from us. And the thing to me that is so stunning is there are homeless people on the street with children. With children. Why are we not focusing on taking care of those issues and leave the decision of a woman to make over her own body and her own life? We are the ones who give birth. You know, I'm watching my great, my granddaughter, uh, Amber, we have two great, I have two great grandchildren. I watched her with the first baby, uh, Satori. It was 24 hours nonstop, but that was a decision she made. She decided to have that child. She decided to make the commitment and go through all the steps that needed to raise a healthy child. And she did, it, she did it a second time. She did not want her daughter to be an only child. A second time made that decision and now is going through the same thing. And it's beautiful to watch. Why is it beautiful? Because these are wanted children. We're all excited about it because they're wanted. But also the idea that they had the option to make a choice is very important. It is so important. I mean, we were looking at statistics about young children in foster homes. These are all, these are all children 90% of the time are unwanted. They're accidental pregnancies. They're pregnancies from all kinds of different situations and for some religious belief or some whatever, whatever motivation for that woman was to have that child. And here it ends up in a foster home and we can't even take care of them in foster homes. I don't understand that, how the fetus has priority over a born child. And another thing that's very interesting, when you start looking, they call themselves Christians, they're, they're supporting the sanctuary of life. I found out in the Bible it says that in many, many religions, in fact, most of them, they do not believe life starts until the first breath. That means when the child comes into the world. So there's a lot of things that we have to look at and a lot of things that we have to think about. But the most important thing is an election is coming up in November. And if we don't pay attention to who we elect and what their values are and what they stand for, we're going to be in a lot of hot water, ladies. And we really need to think about that. Well, time to take a musical break at that time of the morning and I'm going to play one of my favorite songs that I just love you know by Earth Mama you know oftentimes I realize that there's you know Ken and I go back and forth on this you know because he's my co-producer he says well you played that song I says Ken these are songs that relate to what we are doing on this show and it's important that not only do we listen to the songs but we understand what they are saying 
And this song is her story sung by Earth Mama, which really, really lets us know, I mean, it's our story. We have struggled. We have struggled to get women's history. We have struggled to get abortion. We have struggled almost almost 100 years, actually 72 years of intense uh, protesting, women going to jail, women being waterboarded in order to get the vote. It's, I am ashamed of any woman who does not turn out to the polls to vote. And now they make it so much easier for you. I mean, you can do it with mail-in ballots. I mean, it was so much fun. Ken and I, we sit around the kitchen table, and we have all kinds of references that we go to different groups that we trust that are making recommendations. But Ken has a, Ken has a, uh, he has a habit of reading everything. And so we make these decisions together. And then we take it over to our voter registration and just drop it in a drop box. Or you can just put a, you don't even have to put a stamp on it. Just say, take it to your post office or leave it for your postman. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing event to be able to vote. And, you know, voting, voting, that's our voice. That's our choice. That's letting us, that's letting our trusted elected officials know what we are hoping that they will do. I can't believe that the Republican Party doesn't even have a platform. How can you vote for a group that doesn't have a platform? You have to look at what is their platform, what are their values, and ask yourself, am I in tune with that? And then you cast your ballot. And also, one thing that I always say, you get all kinds of these different things coming in the mail. They're important to read. But really, pay attention, especially when there's a little competition going on. Ask yourself, where is all that money coming from, from that little flyer? Who are they? What are they supporting? Are they in tune with my values? And if they're not, well, don't vote for them. And also another thing that came up, you know, oftentimes people say, well, I look at all these initiatives, I'm confused, I don't understand them. Well, if you don't understand something, just leave it blank. But pay attention to the people who are voting and pay attention to these initiatives. Ask questions. Find out who's doing evaluations. If you trust them, if they, they have your values, ask them what do they think. You know, ask your friends. You know, make it, make it an important event. You are choosing people that are going to rule your life. They're going to make changes. They're also the, the initiatives. These are laws that come into the world that are going to change your life, that affect your everyday living. Voting is a very important exercise, and we all must vote. So we're starting to get into the season, so pay attention. So let's go ahead, Ken. We're going to pl play her story, sung by Earth Mama. When we return, I will be joined on the phone by Molly McGregor, who is one of the co-founders of the National Women's History Project right here in Sonoma County. My claim to fame is that Molly and I went to the same class in Sonoma State University in the early 70s, and I remember walking her. We were both walking to class, and Molly was just a beautiful, she still is, she was just a beautiful woman, and there we were, and I was so much into the women's studies, I was wearing combat boots and my, my corduroy brown pants, and I remember wearing a blue shirt, and we're walking, and she says, oh yeah, J.J. Wilson and, and, and Karen, I can't remember Karen's last name, they're writing this book on women in art, and I said, women in art? And she says, yeah, I said, are there women artists? I didn't even know that. That's how ignorant I was at that time. 
But thanks to Sonoma State, to my wonderful professor, Ann Neal, and to all the women in the class from 73 to 75, I grew up as a woman. In fact, I was honored when I graduated uh, Sonoma State, uh, Marjorie Danny Ragner, who was the first, the first woman president for the uh, UC systems here in California. I was so proud of her. And I was chosen to be one of the speakers, the first time a woman and a student spoke at her graduation in 1975. We have come a long way, baby, and let me tell you something. There are powers out there that be that want to take it away from us. So let's go ahead and let's enjoy her story. We can't stop now. We've come so far. Can't be content where we are. Oh, we see the statues and the monuments of the history written about man's achievements. Well, what about her story? daughter born on our mother earth deserves the chance to know her worth and to read the stories of what girls have done Love that her story. Let me tell you something. If it wasn't for Molly Murphy McGregor, we would not have even have that song. For you just joining, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, <laughs> its board of directors, its members, and women's spaces. 
Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and without further ado, I want to introduce my guest on the phone with me is Molly Murphy McGregor. Welcome, Molly. Welcome to Women's Spaces once again. Oh, thanks, Elaine. Elaine, remember, we're all in this together, and you have just as much to do with it as I do, but thank you for the compliment. Oh, well, I mean, come on, you know, I mean, it was a great, a great step that you did bringing women, helping to bring women's history to the forefront. Listen, before we begin, I'd just like to tell my get my listeners just a little bit about you. Is that okay? Go, go ahead. Yes, yeah, because I know you'll say nothing but, <laughs> but wonderful things, because those other things you just forget. <laughs> Well, Molly is a former high school social studies teacher who has worked for over 15 years in the field of gender equity and women's history. McGregor conducts women's history workshops and women's historic site tours throughout the country. She also works with state and national agencies on strategies and programs to help acknowledge and recognize the historic contributions of women. Her work in the field of multicultural women's history has been widely recognized, including awards from the National Education Association, the U.S. Department of Education, and the National Association for Multicultural Education, and the Association for Gender Equity Leadership in Education Leadership. Anything you'd like to add, Molly? No, I think that's more than enough. I, I guess what I would like to add is, all those awards uh, should have been shared with literally thousands of other people who made the work possible. Well, we still want to thank you. You know, before we talk about Women's Equality Day, which I think that I think it's a very important subject, give us a little background about the National Women's History Project, now called the National Women's History Project, uh, excuse me, Alliance. When did it begin, and what sp- inspired you and helped you along the way? Okay, well, I'll give you, uh, give me my, my quick rendition of it if I can. Um, uh, I moved to Sonoma County uh, in the in the 1970s, and the reason I moved here is because I had been a high school teacher for three years, and a student in my class had asked me a question in 1972, which was a banner year for the women's rights movement. I mean, Shirley Chisholm ran for president. Barbara Jordan was elected to the Senate. Title IX began to be drafted. Uh, Ms. Magazine was published. It was just a banner year. And I was um, I was a high school social studies teacher, so of course these are historic events I should have been well aware of. And he said to me, what is the women's movement? And I looked at him, and I tried to look as intelligent as I'd ever tried to look and said to him, what a good question. Uh, Let's divide into groups and look at that from the perspective of the government, of religion, of society, of the family, of the community. And the truth is, I was stalling because I I didn't have a clue what this kid was asking me. But the truth is that that's always the best way to... um, to develop questions because the questions always um, give you the answers. So these kids now have the opportunity to come up with five really good questions so we could, we could, you know, really investigate the women's movement. And I went home to my Secret Shrines of History books and discovered one book, one chapter, all outlined in yellow. I got, received straight A's in history. And the book was Freedom's Ferment, and the chapter was on the Women's Rights Convention in Seneca Falls in 1848. And it was only in that moment that I realized how ignorant I was. 
uh, it was only in that moment I, I realized I had never given those women the credit for the fact that I could be, and at the time I was a married woman, teaching high school, being able to wear um, pants, to, you know, slacks to school. I mean, everything that I was able to do was because of the work that the people, who, the women who had preceded me. And so for me, the most important part of that um, conversion experience was to realize that by this time my mother was dead and I never got to tell her how much I appreciated all that she had done because she was my mother. You know, mothers do these things. So it is in my mother's name that 50 years later um, I'm working to help promote, celebrate, and recognize the extraordinary contributions of women. This is not to idealize them, because we all know some women that we wouldn't necessarily idealize, but to look at what they went through to be able to bring us to today. And now we have a really good example of it, because here we are fighting to control our own bodies again. So that, that's my story, and that's why I do what I do. I do it in my mother's name and the name of all women who preceded me. So um, in terms of um, what, I, what I did, realizing I knew nothing, I came up to Sonoma State, real involved in women's studies, got involved in the Education Task Force of the Commission on the Status of Women, and went to the county schools and asked them if they would designate one week on the school calendar, the week of March 8th, International Women's Day, as Women's History Week. And the reason I asked them to do this is because I knew that the teachers were, te were that they didn't know anything either. If I hadn't known anything, uh, we, we had went through the same education process, they knew nothing. But if we put a week in the school calendar, it would, it would call the question. It would force people to talk about women and their contributions. And we recruited community women to go into schools and talk about their lives um, and how much they thought their lives would be one way and how it was another. So that, it was so successful, and it was so successful for two years that um, I took the idea to a national convention that was chaired by Gerda Lerner, who was the prominent person in the field of women's history. Someone known I sat outside her her um, office waiting to talk to her. My knees were shaking. You know, here I was just a kid. I was 30, and, and she was old, which meant she was probably 50. <laughs> anyway, um, Gerda let, let me bring the idea to the whole group, and the whole group embraced it. And in that group, there was the president of now, the president of Girl Scouts, uh, tons of nuns, uh, community organizers, women who worked in um, house cleaning. I mean, it was just across the board in terms of class and race um, and interest. And um, and it went from there. So that was uh, September of uh, July of 1979. And by February of 1980, I received a call uh, from the White House, and it went something like this. Um, this is the White House calling for Molly McGregor. And, of course, I couldn't breathe. I said, one moment, please, and I put them on hold. <laughs> and then <laughs> I got back on the line. And sure enough, it was Sarah Weddington calling me for President Carter to let us know that President Carter was going to issue a presidential message um, asking the American people to pause and remember the extraordinary contributions of all women from uh, pre-colonial time to the present, uh, um, 
for the week of March 8th, International Women's Day. And so we had Women's History Week for the next seven years, and then we were finally able to get Women's History Month because having a week was problematic because, of course, every year we had to go back to Congress because March 8th would change. And also there were things like um, school holidays and other things that happened during March. So to get it in, into March, into perpetuity in March, um, was a huge success. And we've had Women's History History Month um, ever since, and we developed the themes. We used to select particular honorees. Now we have turned that responsibility over to communities and organizations to honor their own their own um, specific women in their organizations. Next year's theme is celebrating women telling our stories, and we are um, certain that there will be literally hundreds of thousands of women who will be recognized as storytellers and um, stories that are told. So that's a very brief overview of Women's History Month. Now, in terms of Women's Equality Day... Well, let, me, let me just we, say something. Let me just okay, say something sorry. before we go into Women's Equality. I want to do a shout-out to the women who worked okay. with you, and that was Mary Bruce Sider, mm-hmm. Maria Cuevas. Mm-hmm. I just ran into mm-hmm. Maria. I couldn't believe it. I'm going to get her on the show. I mean, I was so excited uh, to see oh, her. Good. Paula oh, Han- you should definitely. Oh. I know it's a social justice meet, uh, a party she was there. Uh-huh. Yeah, she was. She's. I, I was just. I was just lover. Anyway, Paula Hammett and Betty Morgan to broadcast. Mm-hmm. They. They were all part of your team. And once again, mm-hmm. congratulations. Well, here we are. You know, it, it. I don't know if you if you listened to the program before you came on before Women's Spaces came on, but I was listening to Democracy Now, and it was just. You know, arresting women, trying to get abortions, you know, finding women at airports. You know, the one woman was trying to get her daughter an abortion, and here she's arrested, and now that she has to go on trial. I mean, all the different things that are happening. And here we are on August 26th. We're going to celebrate Women's Equality Day once again. So talk a little bit. What is Women's Equality Day, and why is it important? And what are some of the things that you think, you know, some of the history of that? Well, Women's Equality Day, um, the reason that we celebrate it, because otherwise it would be one of those things that just happened, you know, kind of happened. But the reason we really have mobilized and celebrate Women's Equality Day is because of Bella Abzug. In 1974, she brought the resolution before Congress that every year, March, I'm sorry, August 26th would be celebrated as Women's Equality Day because what would be more significant than half of the population finally having um, the responsibility and the right to vote. So the history of it begins there. And the reason it was so significant that it was a congressional, um, uh, I mean, it passed in Congress, was that that meant that every year the federal government would have to support uh, and plan Women's Equality Day. Well, the National Women's History Project, we were into this for two years before uh, one of the federal federal women managers called us and said, hey, you produce all this stuff for Women's History Month. Why don't you do Women's Equality Day? And we said, Women's Equality Day? When is that? I mean, that's how... You know, that's how these things slip by us unless people remind us and tell us. And uh, anyway, she, of course quickly told us what Women's Equality Day was, and we got on it as fast as we could. 
and started um, promoting it in every in every way. Of course, nothing. We we, we couldn't have dreamed that the centennial would bring together the hundredth anniversary of um, women winning the vote would bring together the tens of thousands of local, state, and national organizations. Uh, unfortunately, we suffered a pandemic in 2020, and so so many of the things that had been planned um, were not carried off in the way they had been. But because people had been planning for two and three years, they've carried on. I mean, the work that now is going on to recognize Women's Equality Day, and not just the 72 years that it took women to win the right to vote, the women who were tortured and brutalized and, you know, disdained and everything else, not just to, to celebrate these extraordinary women, but to continue to celebrate the extraordinary women who continue on to fight for our rights to control our own body, our rights to have equal pay, um, our rights to be full citizens, our right, we should be half of the Congress. Um, I, I used to think we should be half of the um, Supreme Court, but given who's on the Supreme Court now, I, I won't go there. Anyway, that's what Women's Equality Day is about. It's about a celebration. It's celebrating the work that has preceded us, the work that's happening today, and uh, the inspiration for work that will happen tomorrow. So even if you haven't planned anything for Women's Equality Day, have a little tea party, you know. Um, take your out yourself, your family out to, to something special. Just in some way, stop and think about what it takes um, to live in the culture we live in, and especially the challenges we face now with fascism trying to take over our country, trying to, you know, demean women in every way they possibly can. And then to think they have the unmitigated goal to control our bodies. I mean, in a democracy, in, in any in any state, what is more sacred than our own bodies and our own choices? So that's what Women's Equality Day is. I'm happy to tell you that there's also a resurgence for the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, many, many young people don't know what the Equal Rights Amendment is because they, they would say, oh, well, we were protected by the 14th Amendment, which guaranteed equal rights. Well, not for women, it didn't. And with the last... Um, uh, the last, what do you call it, deliberation or whatever from the Supreme Court, they're even challenging um, the 14th Amendment. So well, I'm happy me... to tell you that the, the Equal Rights Amendment does have enough um, states that have ratified it. Now, some states are trying to uh, unratify it. And so because of that, it's a huge um, it's a huge issue in the courts. But if we could elect enough Democratic senators, we could actually get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. And with the Equal Rem Rights Amendment passed, there would be no more of this stuff about abortion, because how could they possibly um, deny women the rights that um, that men don't have to face? So let me let me sorry. let me throw... my little box my little soapbox. I'll, I'll, I'll get off of it now. No, I just no. I think it's wonderful. No, everything you had to say is so very important. No, you never have to apologize. Please. But I wanted to uh, put, uh, just let people know how long this has been going on. You know, I found some information on Alice Paul, who was a leader mm -hmm. in the fight to ratify the 19th Amendment in 1920 mm -hmm. to expand voting mm -hmm. rights to women. Alice Paul authored the Equal Rights Amendment in 1923. 
and spent the rest of her life fighting for its ratification to ensure the U.S. Constitution protects women and men, women and men, women and men equally. You can't discriminate on the basis of sex. It doesn't have to do with just not discriminating against women. You can't discriminate against men. And Alice Paul, as you said, she lived to be an old, old woman. From 1923 on, she worked. She because she she knew that the vote was was only the first step. Um, but in 1977, um, you know, the when the Equal Rights Amendment finally passed Congress, and seven states rushed to ratify it, it was not going to be a problem. I mean. How could the United States of America deny women equal rights? Well, they could because of people like Phyllis Shapley and folks like that that generated enough fear that, oh, my God, if you gave women um, equal rights, they would turn into men, um, or worse, they'd become lesbians. Or um, it was just this whole, I was in in Maine listening to an anti-ERA rally, and it was the whole gay rights parade because that was... That was the fear that they used, and the the Equal Rights Amendment was the only federal amendment that was given a timeline, and so that's the other thing that's being fought. How how could we um, have a timeline when none of I mean some of those other uh, uh, constitutional amendments took hundreds of years to pass, and we we were given seven. So there's there's so many issues and. As soon as Women's Equality Day, well, actually, as soon as the election is over, because there's nothing more important than voting, um, and that's going to be the complete, you know, focus of of anyone who cares about saving our democracy. And then it's full speed ahead for the Equal Rights Amendment. Well, you know, where are we now? I mean, I thought I thought all the states had ratified it, and now they're trying to say that that we've we've missed the time period, and so now we. Yeah, we missed the time period, but since that, since missing the time period, the three states that we needed have ratified it. So we do have enough states that have ratified it. Now, there are some states that ratified it that are trying to unratify it, but that's never been done before. So that's one of the many issues that's before the courts. And, you know, it's kind of scary given given the composition of the Supreme Court. So that's why we have to overwhelmingly elect Democratic, I'm not supposed to say this because I'm saying this as Molly McGregor, I'm not saying this as the National History Alliance because as a nonprofit, we are bipartisan. Our, our, women, our Molly, women's spaces. <laughs> yeah. Molly McGregor is not bipartisan by <laughs> any means. I just finished reading... Um, Jill Biden's uh, Growing Up Biden, and I'll tell you, if you ever want to respect a family, read that book. It's it's really just grand. But, yeah, so we, we have to do everything. We, can. we have to show the power. And the people of Kansas, I mean, did we ever think it was going to be the people of Kansas that, that gave us our, our sense of inspiration and hope and possibility? You know, Americans, I don't know why so many Americans have been taken in by Trump, but my hope is that Americans will remember that our democracy and our freedom is such an extraordinary gift. You know, when we talk about being exceptional, um, we're exceptional only in the fact that we have a 
multicultural, multiracial democracy. It's never been tried before. Uh, we have a lot of problems, you know, health care, racism, you name it. But it's an experiment, and people have to vote. They have to get their kids to vote. They have to they educate themselves about why it's essential to vote. You know, they don't have to just walk in as robots and vote. They have to know that their vote matters. And one more thing as I blather on, I want to remind people that California women won the right to vote in 1911. We won it nine years before um, it was a federal amendment. And, um, and and we lost the first time, you know, but, you know, if at first you don't succeed, you just keep at it. And if you would if you would know anything about the California campaign, it was dramatic, it was fun, it was extraordinary. Because, remember, only men could vote for women to have the right to vote. And um, when the votes came in from, uh, especially from uh, San Francisco County, um, we we lost. It was like, um, you know, suffrage had lost, but it took a long time to count the votes. And Los Angeles brought us up a little bit because Los Angeles County voted so much more for um, women's suffrage than San Francisco County. And I have to say that was because of Los Angeles County businessmen businessmen who were very deeply religious and believed that if they had rights, their daughters should have rights. So Los Angeles kind of brought us up, but we still had lost. And then the votes from the rural counties came in, Sonoma County, Napa County, Lake County, uh, Napa County, all of those votes, all done by farmers. And so the women of California won the right to vote on an average of one vote per precinct throughout the state. That's how close it was. Oh, my so goodness. So if you think your vote doesn't count, you're wrong, because that's how California women won the right to vote, one vote per precinct throughout the state. Well, I want to I enjoy And also, also recognizing that, you know, men have a huge investment in this. This is never an anti-man kind of campaign. This is, hey, we are all in this together. We're all... Americans together. We all believe in democracy together, and together um, we can win. Well, you know, it's real interesting. One of the things, you know, one of the things that I'm looking at with the women's movement, particularly, even at the beginning with the suffrage movement, there was a actually women of color felt left out, you know, um, mm-hmm. young people felt left out. It felt like, a, you know, a kind of an upper class women's movement. I mean, that was even a complaint with Benny Fernand's group, you know, that maybe they weren't allowing enough. But I find that that's very different today. You know, I went to you had two two excellent, excellent webinars in the last few days that I, I had the privilege of attending. In fact, I got to tell you something that's happening next week. I'm going to be interviewing the niece of Polly Murray, and I am just oh, good. I'm just oh, she's wonderful. I'm just she's be, wonderful. I, I'm just beside I you know I couldn't I did not write uh-huh. her I I, I I mean I just can't believe that I'm actually going to be doing this interview but one of the things that I noticed is that women are coming together there's more women of color that are in leadership I mean I was just amazed at how many women came 
forward in these in these seminars the brilliance of there was not only women of there was asian women women of you know african american women jewish women i mean it was it was such a conglomerate of of women it was it was amazing and also the most important thing that i feel is happening is that we need to get more young people involved in the movement so what mm-hmm. what what suggestions you have for young people what are some things that you think they should do they should attend i mean what is their place and and the thing that's amazing i've i've interviewed quite a few of them on the environment there's this one group called the sunrise group and every time i listen to them i say to myself my god when i was a teenager all i worried about was finding a boyfriend and getting my hair cut right you know and here oh. here they're talking about the environment so what are some suggestions that you have for young people and why do you think it's important okay. that they join a women's movement okay two things first i want to say that black women and women of all ethnicities were very very much involved in the suffrage movement it's just that their stories weren't told now they're being told but black women were extraordinarily um active in the in the women's suffrage movement um you know they turned they turned every corner every church into a a sermon but in terms of the young people of today my first and most important message is we need to listen to them and not you know not contradict them not whatever we need to listen to them even though they say things sometimes that you think are you kidding i've already been there or we already did that We need to listen to young people, and we need to hear their voices. So my suggestion to you, of course, would be to have, uh, you know, uh, young people on your program. Um, One of the women on our board of directors, which she would be fantastic. She's she's a first-generation Indian, uh, East Indian uh, uh, descent. She She was talking about how... She could, her, her mother couldn't believe that the United States didn't have an equal rights amendment since India does. But um, she was so put off by the lack of anything about women in their school calendar that she's organized an organization um, on her campus. And she's the youngest person on our board. She's just just a delight, and I will send you her contact information, and I definitely would invite you to have her on, on your program because we need to hear these voices of young people. I sit through board meetings now um, just trying to be silent because, um, I, I, you know, I was born in the 20th century. I didn't. I didn't think the way 21st century women did do, and some of the ideas they have and some of the strategies they have and stuff, and I thought, I didn't even know those things were possible. So anyway, that's my overall overwhelming advice, that we listen to young people. We don't have to agree with everything they say, but when we disagree, we need to, to say it in a way of, why would you say that? Because my experience was such and such. Not that they're ex- not in any way to negate their experience, but just to, to you know, to broaden the, the the discussion, to let them know. I have a nephew who's gay, and one of the things that he does, he works with older men who survived the AIDS epidemic. Because he said he's only he's only 23, and he says to me, Aunt Molly. I had no idea. I had no idea that 
people went through what they went through. So it's a sharing. It's a, share, a generational sharing. But the very first thing old people need to do, as far as I'm concerned, because I'm one of those old people, is we need to listen. Even when we disagree, we need to listen, hear them out, and then say, well, could I tell you what my experience has been? But asking for permission, not just being the dominant old person in the group. So that's well, my words of wisdom. Those are some really good, good suggestions, and I love that. Yes, it's very important that we listen to the youth. I mean, I remember when I was a youth, I did not feel listened to, and it's not its not a good place to be. And we are out there, we are out here listening, and I agree with you, and we've had many, many young people on this program, and its I'm stunned at the intelligence and the, and mm-hmm. the ideas. It's just amazing. Well, we've come to the end of the segment, so let's hear your website really quickly, and any events coming up, any more webinars or anything that you'd like to say? Just know that next year's theme is um, celebrating women telling our stories. I just got an email from a woman in Pengrove because the the Pengrove I think it's now called the Social Fireman something or other. Anyway, Molly, we have come... we, you'll have to send me that information because okay. we're at the end of our Okay, and our, and our email is just nationalwomenshistoryalliance.org. Well, Molly McGregor, thank you so much. This is becoming an, a, a yearly event that we have you on, and I so appreciate that you come on and you share the history and you share all the wonderful things that you do. Thank you so much. Oh, and, thank you, Elaine. Thanks for what you're doing. And happy Women's Equality Day to everyone. Thank you so much. Well, you've been listening to Women's Spaces. I'm your host. Elaine B. Holtz. Thank you so much for listening. And I want to remind you of one thing. Our children are the future. We must never, never lose sight of that. Anybody out there that knows of any young activists that are involved, you can always email me at ElaineBholtz at gmail.com. I'm always happy to consider all people to be on the show to share their message with each and every one of us. You know, this is a very important time. We need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to each other. We need to pay attention to our politicians. Thank you once again for listening. This is Elaine B. Holtz with Women's Spaces saying thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. Thanks, Elaine. Bye-bye. Thank you, Molly. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful show. We got the theme song coming on, and I just wanted to appreciate Molly Murphy McGregor and all the women who created the women's, the National Women's History Project, which is now the National Women's History Alliance, for all that they have done. Thank you so much. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, August 22, 2022.